Well, good morning. good morning. I'm Mark. Welcome to you all down in Blend and Amped and out in Rowan County and Bearden and all over the world, right? Hey, we're glad to be together this weekend. It's great to be together. If I haven't met you, hey, I'm Mark. Good to see you. Good to have you here. I'd uh, love to chat with you sometime. If you have an opportunity or chance to do that, we'd love to do that. Hey, we're continuing in a series called Love Serves this weekend. And here's what I want to start in asking you this question. Have you ever walked into a conversation and you could tell it, it had already been going on? And you're trying to step in and, and, and catch up to where it's been. Like, where, where are we in the conversation? So you can actually intelligently speak into the conversation. That's exactly what's taking place as we step into a text this weekend. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. It's where we started last weekend. Let me bring up to speed a little bit of a review for some of us who weren't here last weekend or maybe didn't hear the message. But last weekend, the conversation started. It was Resurrection Sunday morning or Resurrection morning. And the women had gone down to the tomb to take spices and herbs, to take care of Jesus' body. And when they got down there, there were, there were two men standing there, angels, and they said to them, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He is risen. And so they scurried out of there, went back to the disciples and said, you're not going to believe this, but he's not in the tomb, he's risen. And I'm not sure what their response was, but, but you catch on in, in chapter 24, a guy named um, Cleopas was heading to Emmaus with a friend of his, and they're walking down the streets, the road to Emmaus. And on this road to Emmaus, this man appears out of nowhere. Now we know, because we read the scriptures last week, this man was Jesus, but they didn't identify him as Christ. And Jesus was saying, walks into the conversation, he says, hey, what are you talking about? And they go, could you be the only guy in, in the territory that doesn't know what's taken place over the last several days? Everybody's talking about this. And so they, they engage him in the conversation, and then Jesus steps into the conversation, which is pretty amazing what he does, and he starts pointing to all the scriptures throughout the Old Testament that actually referred to him, that, that declared him to be the fulfillment of, of, of what they were talking about. And they don't get it yet. So Jesus is going to go on and go further, and they, they ask him to stay. There's something intriguing about this conversation. They say, please stay. And so as he stays with them, they break bread. And as they break bread, their eyes are open. And they get to see that it's Jesus. It's Christ himself who's saying, hey, all those things about the, that, that have pointed to me and the fulfillment from the Old Testament, they're here. I'm here. I'm present. What you heard this morning from the, the women, it's true. I'm here. I've returned. And just as quickly as he appears, he disappears. He vanishes. And what do these guys do? They head back to Jerusalem. They get back to Jerusalem. They want to have a conversation with the disciples going, you're not going to believe what we saw, what the women said were true. And they, they step into this conversation. It's exactly where Jesus steps into the conversation back in Jerusalem. We'll pick it up in Luke chapter 24, starting in 36. You there? Here we go. As they were, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they'd seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it's I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were still, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and of the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. 
He says, you're my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands and blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Folks, this is a pivotal moment. This is a profound moment in the life and the story of Jesus. He's resurrected. He's appeared to his disciples. And, and, and they're getting a glimpse of, of, of Jesus for the first time after his resurrection. And, and he wants them to be sure of a few things. He wants them to be sure of what the mission and the work is going to look like going forward. And at the very heart of this mission and work, grab this, get this. It's in the text. The word doesn't appear, but the, 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 the understanding of it certainly does. At the core of the mission is serving. Jesus said... As he said to his disciples back in Matthew chapter 20, he says, even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. The, the call on the life of these guys, the call on the life of the church now as followers of Christ is to serve. To serve what? To serve the work and the mission of Christ. And we'll get to that in a minute. And yet, at the very beginning of, of, of this idea of serving, serving is, is an opportunity to make the gospel real in real time. Love serves makes the gospel real. Love serves, takes the gospel to a real place in a real space in the lives of people. And that's what we're about. That's what we're getting after. That's the big idea for the weekend. Serving and seeing and thinking about the needs of others. Putting others first. Being aware of what's going on in someone else's life is at the heart, is at the heart and the core of the gospel. Seeing the needs. Our greatest need is what? Our greatest need and every other need points to this need is our need for Christ. Our greatest need is for Jesus. We, we have a, a sin issue. We got a debt issue that we couldn't take care of. And the greatest need that we have is that Christ is, is the way, the truth, and the life. He's come to be and serve and, and meet our greatest need. And every other need in our life points to that reality. Every other need that takes place in our world and your world points to that reality. And so what happens when we step in and start serving the needs of other people? We, we're actually mimicking, we're mirroring the very heart of the gospel. We're mimicking and mirroring the very heart of Jesus who stepped in to our world, meeting us at our greatest need and serving it and taking care of it and meeting it and offering himself as a ransom for many. I, I've heard it said, I don't, I don't think it's original, but I heard it said that good works create good will and allow for good news. Good works we do good works, we, see, we serve and take care of the needs of other folks, allows for goodwill, all of a sudden their hearts and their minds are open, and, and that allows for, for good news. As Jesus entered this conversation, as he enters this conversation, he's calling them to a place of service. He's calling them to, to serve, to make the gospel real. And those disciples that were gathered in that space and place at that time, Jesus makes, wants to be sure that they get it at the front end. This is a very pivotal moment. This is a very pivotal chapter in the story of Jesus. He says, I want you to get this thing. In fact, he doubles down and triples down on the fact that he's physically returned from the grave. He's physically come back from the, from the dead, just as he said he would. And though we'll get to the theological implications of this in the weeks to come as we move into Easter, I want to nestle in for a little bit. Because Jesus does, I think it's right that we do too, he spends some time here in the narrative making sure that they get it, that they know that they know that they know that this is him and he's returned from the dead. We serve, folks, because Jesus is alive. We serve not, not just here in the story, but Jesus is alive, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on my behalf and on your behalf. Jesus is still alive. And because he's alive, that gives us an opportunity to share the good news of his being alive with the world in which we live. This group gathered around Jesus in that moment, it's just like us having a conversation. You ever start talking about somebody? 
Maybe you're talking smack about somebody, and all of a sudden, the people you're talking to get this weird look on their face, and you're like, she's right there, isn't she? <laughs> He's right there, right? That, that's what takes place. They're, they're rushing back to Jerusalem. These two guys, <clears throat> Cleopas and the other guy, head back to Jerusalem. They're having a conversation with the disciples, and out of nowhere... Jesus shows up in the space. He shows up in a place in the space inside the conversation. And all of a sudden, Jesus is in the middle of what they're talking about. And Luke says that they were startled. You think? You think? And Jesus says, as he shows up on the scene, a very, a very common greeting. Like, it'd be a very common greeting. Peace to you. Peace to you. Like, hey, shalom. It's like how we, how we greet each other. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? It's a very common greeting. But I, I would imagine in this moment, with these guys start a little bit, when Jesus said peace to you, it had a little deeper of a grip and a grab in their world and life, right? He says peace to you. Luke says they were scared. They were frightened. In our vernacular, they were freaked out. They were freaked out. Remember just days earlier, they, they had witnessed a horrific death, the horrific death of their leader, of Christ himself. All they thought was gonna, that was going to take place hadn't taken place, and Peter wasn't the only one to scatter. They all scattered. They all went in different directions, and yet they find themselves in this room hearing the good news that Jesus had returned, and all of a sudden, he's there smack dab in the middle of where they are, talking with them, just like he did just days earlier. And he said to them, I want you to get it. It is I myself. I want you to get it. And I imagine he had a robe on. I imagine even robed, you could still see his face. You could still see his hands, perhaps his feet. And he goes, I want you not only to see this, I want you to touch it. I want you to feel it. I want you to know. Touch my hands. See my feet. Look in my eyes. It's, it's truly me. I've returned. I've come back just as I said I would. And you'll notice here in the text that they move from this horrific place of fear and fright where they're thinking, I think we've seen a ghost. They're scared to death. They move from being freaked out and frightened to this place of bewilderment to now a place of amazing joy as their, their minds start wrapping their, their heads and their minds start wrapping themselves around the fact that, that I think this is, first it was too good to be true. Now this is too good to be true. He's, he's literally and physically here. He's here amongst us. He's in our presence. And this is one of the most interesting moments, I think, in Scripture. I think it's pretty powerful. And this profound theological reality that's taken place. Christ said, I'm going to come back. And he did. And he shows up. And this is an amazing moment for them. All of Scripture is being fulfilled in this moment as Jesus returns. And he says and asks the most bizarre thing, if you're not reading it carefully, he goes, is there anything here to eat? Now, I'm a man who's preoccupied with my next meal. But Jesus, seriously? We know he perfected fasting. He had that thing down. 40 days in the desert, he could fast. Remember one time the disciples came back and they brought him some food and he goes, I have food you know nothing about. And what he was referring to was, was a spiritual food that his father fed him and nourished him and took care of him. So I don't believe Jesus was hungry. Perhaps he was. I've never been resurrected. Maybe that, maybe that wears you out a little bit. I don't think it was about his physical reality of need, but I think it was about what he wanted them to experience, wanted them to see. It looks bizarre, but it's actually brilliant. He says, is there anything here in the house to eat? And they go, yeah, there's, uh, there's some fish here, some broiled fish. Maybe it was sous vide. I don't know. Maybe they brought the fish to him and said, hey, there's some fish here. In the middle of all of this, remember what's taking place, what's happening, and what's about to happen. Jesus sits down in front of them and eats the fish. Has a meal right in front of them. Here's why I believe he did it. I want you to know that you know that you know I physically came back. And even an hour or two from now, maybe that you're going to start questioning this thing. You're going to look back at that table and on that plate and say, there's some bones that once had 
flesh on those bones that Jesus left. He wanted to be sure he doubles down, triples down, that they would know that he's physically returned from the dead. This is critical. This is important. This is critical for us to grasp. Why? Because Jesus declared it to be so. The scriptures pointed to that. He, he, he went back and unpacked all the Old Testament prophecies, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and said, this is exactly how it was supposed to be. And he says to his disciples, you remember, he says to them, I've told you this. I've told you this would happen. In verse 45, he opens their minds to finally understand what up, up until this point was nearly impossible for them to fathom. Jesus spoke in parables. He spoke truths. He spoke theological treaties. I mean, how were they to grasp this thing? They couldn't wrap their mind around someone being physically resurrected from the dead as if, as if they'd never experienced it before. They experienced it with Lazarus, but at some point, they're like, I don't understand and grasp this. And then God gave them the ability to see and to understand all that he had just taken, all that had just taken place, all that he wanted them to grasp. This incomparable act of serving has offered all of us, all of us who believe life. Jesus is alive. And this is the good news that we get to share. Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's, he actually conquered sin and death and raised himself from the dead. He's alive. And therefore, everything that happened on the cross is is available to you and I. And that's the message. That's the movement. And the Spirit of God has moved the, the disciples to and has moved the church to. We serve to proclaim the good news. Because Jesus is alive, we serve to proclaim this good news. As Jesus secured the fact that his, he had physically risen, he now shifts to the question. Can you imagine what's going on in the minds of these disciples? Like, we didn't know where this thing was going. You were here, you were gone, now you're back. Are you back? Is this it? Is this the mission? Is this the work? And in their hearts and minds, I, I would imagine they were relieved to some degree. Like, our leader's back in. He's on point. He's back in the system. He's back in the house. And Jesus says to them, yeah, I am, but it's better that I go. And we'll get to that in a minute. But he says to them, I, I got a mission and a work. Here's the pivotal point, pivotal point. He says to them, here's the work I've called you to do. I've come back, and here's the work I have for you to do. In verse 46 and 48, he lays it out for them and for the church. He says, thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He connects the past and the present to what's taken place to the future work that they're called to. That they rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And you're my witnesses of these things. He says, here's the work. Here's the mission. Here's what you're about now. That, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. The mission and the work of his followers is now the proclamation of the gospel. And he calls them to a place of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. That's the core of what it is. It's, it's repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And I, I, like you, love to rush to the forgiveness of sins part. I have a sin issue. Do you have a sin issue? We've had a sin issue. God's rescued us and, 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 and actually paid the price, paid the debt for my sins. But the proclamation of the gospel, he says here, is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Well, what does that mean? What does repentance mean? Repentance means turning, going in one direction and turning in another direction. That's a biblical idea and a biblical concept of repentance. And at the core of every one of our sin issues, all the sin that God's forgiven us of, Every last sin that you've ever committed, every last sin you can think about, anything you can point to that you would call sin has its core at this one sin, that we think the world's all about us. Our greatest sin is the worship of me, where I'm on the throne of my life, I'm, on the, I'm in charge of my world, I'm in charge of what decisions are made in my life, and repentance in the Bible 
is me sitting on the throne of my life right here. Mark's in charge, born that way. Got that from the garden. My mom and dad passed that on. It's how I'm wired that I would turn from living as, as being at the center of my life to actually sitting on the throne Acknowledging that Jesus sits on the throne of my life and everything in my world and my life now is about the worship of him. It's moving from the worship of me to the worship of Christ. That's repentance. He says repentance is, is essential. Turning from. And, and here's, here's the reality that's, that's hard to wrestle with in my mind, maybe in yours as well. No one can make me repent. No one can make you repent. No one can do that. That violates the very heart of relationship that God's calling us to. It, it violates the very reality uh, of us choosing to respond to the grace and the goodness of God. If you're around last fall, we, uh, we introduced a tool, and we'll bring it back time and time again. It was a three-by-five card. If you're new to Two of Us Church, we handed out three-by-five cards, and we asked you to ask God, God, give me three to five names that I can write down on my three-by-five card that I can start praying for and asking you to rescue, save, and move them into a relationship with you. People who are not relationally connected to Jesus would become relationally connected to Jesus. And I've been praying on the folks on my three-by-five card. And i got to tell you, honestly, I've been a little discouraged. I think I mentioned this last time I spoke. I feel like there's at least three people on my three-by-five card. I feel like they're getting further and further away. And I was wrestling with this, asking God, like, what's the deal? Are you not answering my prayer? Some prayers take a lifetime and, and here's the truth and the reality. It's not up to me to save anybody on my 3 by 5 card. You get that, right? I need to get that. The, the answer to my prayer isn't that God saves them. Yes, I ultimately hope and pray that he does. But no one's going to be saved by God forcing their decision to do it. No one's going, no one's going to come to faith by God making that happen. God's made everything he can possibly happen. He's laid down his very life for us that people would respond to the good news of Christ. But, but nobody will choose Everyone will choose on their own. No, no one will be forced to choose by God himself because that violates relationship. And so when I think about what, what God's calling the disciples to, what he's calling us to, what he's calling the church to is to proclaim the good news of Christ. And here's what I believe is true about three people in my three by five card who feel like they're further away. God is answering my prayer. I don't know if they've made a decision yet, but here's how I believe God's answering my prayer. I, I, I believe God is orchestrating events in their life, people in their world, that he's surrounding the wagons. I, I know that no one comes to the Father apart from, from the Spirit drawing us. I know the Spirit's active at work. There's people in that state that I'm praying for, these people who are actively around these three that I'm praying for, that I know God is at work pursuing revealing himself just like God did for you and for me time and time again until finally we, we got to a place where we said, enough, I get it. I'm going to repent and turn to you and experience the grace of God. This is the mission of the church, folks. This is the mission that God lays before the disciples. And if you read into the book of Acts, as we spend some time, this is the work of the church. This is why God's placed us here. And this is why God has placed Two Rivers Church here in this moment, in this time, in this space, in this movement, to actually proclaim the good news of, of the gospel. That we call people to repentance and to the forgiveness of sins. It's the foundation of what we believe God's given us. You've heard us talk about the, the, the nine-county region that we're in, over, over a million people in the greater Knoxville area. We believe, we believe that God has called us to partner with other churches, other people all over the nine-county region who want to see the gospel reach and saturate the, the entire region of Knoxville. We believe it's possible. We believe it's doable. We believe God's called us to be a part of it. 
And that's what we're calling us to be in a place where we would get our minds and our hearts wrapped around how well God has served us and because he's served us so well that we would serve others that they'd experience the good news of Christ. That's what we're about. That's what we're getting after. Love serves is a part of seeing that vision become a reality. We're going to spend time next weekend scattered across several counties, not in three buildings or on three campuses, but all over the place. All over the place we'll be next weekend. An incredible opportunity for us to not make Two Rivers Church known. I could care less if anyone ever thinks or, or, or remembers the name of the church or where you came from. But I care, we care, you care deeply that people experience Jesus, that they would know Jesus, that they'd experience the true living Christ. That's our hope. That's our desire. And it's both in word and deed. The Bible speaks a lot about word and deed. It happens in word and deed. It happens by the, the words we speak, but the actions that we actually participate in. In fact, seeing it in play, actually seeing it in play, allows people to actually engage with, with and grasp the understanding that God actually does care and sees them and loves them. It goes back to good works. Showing up in someone's world and life and, and meeting a need allows for goodwill. They open their minds and their hearts, and they say there's something different about these people, and then allows, it allows and opens up the opportunity for Good news that the gospel will be proclaimed and experienced and known. 500 of us next weekend are determined to be the church in our communities. We're, we're heading out. And we hope and pray that as we move into the places and spaces God has for us, places some of us have never frequented, never been there before, my hope and my prayer is that God will use this event not only to, to care for the needs, but that he would drive even further into the heart of our church, our church culture, our people, each and every one of us, this idea and this reality at the core of the gospel, at the core of what Jesus has done for us, is served us and calls us to serve others. That's where God's calling us. And I pray that we continue to become a people who look more and more and more and more like Jesus. You might think, well, what really? Painting a building, landscaping a yard, sorting some clothes, making some cookies for two or three hours on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night or over the weekend. Does that matter? Does it really matter? Absolutely it matters. Absolutely. It's the small things in our world and our lives that, that's showing up in a place and space where people have an idea of what they think Christianity is all about. People already have an idea of what the church is or what it's not. Talk about canceled culture. Have we not been canceled? We've been canceled. People don't like you. They think you're bigots. So all of a sudden to show up in a place and a space moving clothes or baking cookies or, or raking in a yard, you, you, you have the opportunity to be fully present in a space where people have, have, have to hold you up against what they think Christians are all about or what they think following God's all about and look at you and look, having you look at them and be present and go, something's not making sense here. This isn't what I thought to be true. And yet we can have a presence in a space in a world that I think is actually pretty surprised that, that we'd actually show up. God continues to long to use us to build organizations or connections with organizations, relationships with people all throughout the greater Knoxville area. And I hope and pray that next weekend is an opportunity for us to step in that into a, a more in, intense way. Love serves as more than an event that your church is hosting. It's more than an event next weekend that, that we're taking part of. It's it's really us becoming the church and actually acting like the church in community. And yet, more than that, I believe what Jesus is getting at with, with his followers and what he wants us to hear as well is that it's at the core of our attitude, how we see ourselves, how, how, we, how we respond to the good news of Christ that's rescued and saved us, that God would find us responding in like way. In all the big things in life and all the little things, the little things matter. 
Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, And whatever you do in word and deed, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, that we be a people in word and deed, in all the little things, the big things, and everything in between, that we be a people that, that are, are proclaiming the good news of Jesus by, by literally showing up, making the gospel real in the greater Knoxville area, in the community in which we live, that, that, that our heart's attitude would show up in a greater space and place among the nine counties we represent. And I'll go a step further. I believe God's called us to show up not just there, but here, in, in our church, in your church, in, your, in and on your campus. If you're at a campus in Bearden or Roan County, God, God's placed you here for a reason. And, and this is my own personal belief. I'm going to get up on my little soapbox for a minute. I was going to ask for permission, but you're not going to stop me anyway. So I'm on my soapbox. The world's changed in the last couple of years, has it not? It's changed. People have pivoted. That word's gotten overused, used, abused, and people have pivoted. There, there are hundreds of folks who used to be here who are no longer here, no longer even at church, some at other churches. There are hundreds of folks who were at other churches, and now you're here, and you're in the space and in the place. And so as you're here, let me say this in a very clear way. I'm incredibly grateful. I, we as a leadership team, are incredibly grateful that you're here, that you call True Rivers your church home. I remember walking through the campus when it was empty for months and months and literally weeping, thinking, I wonder what it's going to look like on the other side, if there's another side to this. And then it's been exciting and fascinating, and God's changed my heart. And not that I didn't feel this way before, but like I remember walking past the windows down at the other end of the Harrison Lane campus and seeing cars out there. I was like, that was unfamiliar. There's people coming to church. And here's what I believe to be true. Nobody's here. Maybe one or two, max, in here or any other room we're talking to. Nobody's here right now because you have to be here. Everybody pivoted. Everybody changed. We all went home, and we got to, th we got to rethink church. We got to go online and check out lots of churches, right? We got to rethink this thing. But, but you're here, and you've claimed that this is the place that you believe God's called you to be. So if this is the place God's called you to be, let me be really clear. We need you to step up and step in. We, we need you not only to step into your community, absolutely. We need you to step into the work of the church that God's called you to serve. There's some piece and part that God's called you to play here at the church that we need you. I'll go a little bit further than that. That we would have an attitude of service as we look at our lives in every space and area of our lives. Where you spend the bulk of your week, God's calling you to have a presence there. You have, you have a place that no one else has. You, you, you actually see people and interact with people that most of us will never see or know. Whether it's at school, whether it's at your job, whether whether it's in your neighborhood, God's called you to have an eyes to see and ears to hear the needs of other people so that you can, you can perform good works that allow for goodwill so the good news will be experienced and known. Right there in your neighborhoods. What does it look like? It could be a small thing. I missed it the other day. My neighbor's trash can fell over. It was windy and their, their recycling was all over the yard. And I was thinking later, I should have gone and picked that up and put it back in the can. I wonder if that would have given me an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody who rushes home, closes the garage door, and doesn't want to be seen or talked to. Good works produce goodwill and allow for good news to be seen and known. God, God's calling us in the places we already live and exist to actually have an influence, to see people and see them as their, what, what, their needs, rather than seeing people as a means to get to the end of our week, to seeing people as the means of the week, that God has placed us in a place that no one else has, that we could actually walk in and step in and serve the needs of other people. I'm going to go even further. Sometimes the hardest place for us to actually serve and to show up is right there in our home with people who bear our same name. 
We get into patterns and rhythms, don't we? That this is okay. This is who I am. This is who I'm always going to be. This is, this is what it looks like for us to be a couple or a family. Or This is what it looks like in my friendships. And, and we just kind of get comfortable in that. And we, we, see, we see these opportunities all the time to actually step in and, and actually meet a need, whether it's a physical touch, a conversation, eye contact, an actual deed, coming alongside, supporting someone. What does that look like? And, and yet we we, we, we kind of we sit at a distance and, and let those moments pass us by. God's called us in greater fashion than ever before to, to see others the way he's seen us. He saw the need in us, stepped in and met it. That we would see the need in other people all around us, that we'd be a people that are marked by this. Not just an event on a weekend, but each and every day of our lives. That God would see us indeed showing up. And it also emphatically means telling people about Jesus. Words matter. Paul says, and I think it's in Romans chapter 20, or, he says, how will they know unless someone tells them? There's going to be a, a time and a place where someone's going to walk up to you and go, why are you this way? And most of us are scared to death. Like, I don't know if that moment happens. I don't, I'm going to blow it. They're, they're not going to come to Christ. They're going to go straight to hell because I didn't have the right answer. That's all from the evil one. That's just all hyper, hyper narrative that has nothing to do with it. All the person's asking you is, why are you this way? You know what? All I know is this. I used to sit on the throne of my own life. And I made a mess of it. And since I've given my life to Christ, I'm not doing it perfectly, but I'm walking toward Jesus. I'm acknowledging his lordship, and I'm placing myself under his authority. Messed up as I am, Jesus has met me every day, and his mercies are brand new every day. It could be as simple as that. You don't have to go to a class on how to, how to share your faith. Just share your faith. Just do it. God's called us to be present in word and deed. And this mission of the church, when I say the church, is, is, is the role that God's given us. This is the role. This is what Jesus has set up when he set his disciples out. And if you go ahead and read in the book of Acts, you'll see it. He goes, this is what it's all about, that we'd be a people. That The church is the tool. It's God's instrument to reach the lost for Christ. That God would use us to do just this, that we'd proclaim the good news of the gospel. And when I say the church, some of you are already going, well, that's good. That's you, Mark. That's those folks that we pay to be on staff. That's the leaders. That's the elders. That's the church. That's not the church. We're not the church. We are not the church. We are the church. We are the church. We're the church. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. Yeah, it's me too. We're the church. God's placed us in a unique space in this world and in this time to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus. And God's called us to demonstrate this by the way in which we serve, the way in which we give our lives to him the way in which we live out each and every day of our lives. And I hope you feel the intensity of it. I hope you feel like, Mark, that's just too much. This is, this is a lot. Like, that's the ideal, right? That's not what anyone's expecting me to be. Yes, it is. Yes, God's expecting you to show up and serve in every area of your life. Every area of your life. Community, church, neighborhood, school, work, grocery store, and in the relationships that are near and dear to you, God's calling you to show up. And you might be feeling like I do. That's overwhelming. That's too much. How can that be? Something else is going to have to give. And it might. There's might be Because that's the, the call in our lives, something else, else might have to give. We might have to make a decision not to be about this anymore because we don't have time to do what God's called us to do and be about this. And it's overwhelming. Do you feel it? I hope you feel it. Because here's the good news on top of the good news. And Jesus gives this good news to his disciples that day. They're, they're scared to death. You mean, you mean you walked back into our world and our life. You came back from the dead and you called us to a mission and to be on point for you to leave us again. 
and to reach the entire world. Yes, the community, but globally, he says the entire world. I want you to reach all the nations, and we'll get to that in another week, but we're called to do the same thing. That, that's overwhelming, Jesus. And he goes, but here's the good news. We serve by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says to them, wait for it. Wait for it. I want you to go back into Jerusalem, back to the very place that was the darkest, hardest place for you to be over the last week or so. I want you to go back into Jerusalem. I want you to wait for it. Because when you wait for it, the power of the Holy Spirit's going to come. It's when he said, it's better that I go. It's better that I depart from you so I can send the Holy Spirit. I can be with you physically here. The Holy Spirit can be with you always, in all places, in all spaces. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do the very work that God's called us to do. In verse 49, he says, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. He's, he's quoting from Isaiah and Ezekiel to the prophets. He goes, there's going to come a day when the Holy Spirit is poured out. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the church. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to do the very work he's called us to do. God empowers us for this work. So here's the call. Here's the, it's not even a request. I think here's the command from, script, from Scripture. Folks, we're called to serve. Step up, step in, get into the game. Do this thing. God's at work. God's moving in amongst us. He's actually saving and rescuing people left and right. And he's saying, I want you to be a part of it. So where do I jump in? Maybe you're asking that question. We started this series week one. Dave Nichols talked about the body. We need the body to function as the body. As Two Rivers Church, we need you to function as the body. We don't need 25 elbows. We need everybody to serve their part, whatever part you have that God's called you to serve. And so knowing your spiritual gifts is important. It's a methodical way of looking at where, where and how should I serve? How has God gifted me? How has he wired me? What have been my experiences in that? That's great, but I don't think that's the first question we should be asking. I don't think the first question is going, where am I gifted? Do you know that's all about me again? goes back to this chair over here. It's all about me. Like, where am I gifted? And then I'll serve where I'm gifted. That's, that's not the first question. The first question is this. Where's the greatest need? Where is the greatest need? Where's the greatest need in the church? Where's the greatest need in the people around me? That's, that's the work that I'm called to. And then how can I corral my gifts around that to meet that need? That, that's where God's called us to be. I was at a church last month in uh, Houston, Texas. I don't think I'd seen a choir sing in a long time. And uh, I was in a Baptist church. Beautiful, beautiful experience. Uh, this 100-member choir was standing before us on these big platforms. And I'm a Brooklyn Tab fan. Love Brooklyn Tab. Boy, they rallied Brooklyn Tab just as good. Parts were solid. Like the, the harmonies and the... I was amazing. But what was even more amazing about it was I, I studied face after face after face after face. And, and I was blown away by the collaborative effort of engagement and worship they were flat out in love with Jesus, and they, and they wanted you to know about that through the way in which they were worshiping. And there were four or five people in the front of that room who were on microphones, and they were leading, and you could hear their voices a little bit above the others. And I would imagine in a choir that size, more than maybe 10, 15 people could have certainly been on microphone and doing those same parts and leading in that way. But I also imagine, this is the way my mind thinks, there's probably 20, 30, 40 people in that group of 100 people that should never be on a microphone, like ever. But boy, they were nailing that bass part. They were nailing that soprano part. They were nailing that alto part. They were, nail they were nailing their parts. And together, the cacophony, the symphony of sound and worship and experience was, was a sight to behold. It, it drew me in. It drew us in. 
And that's the picture I have of God calling us to the work he's called us to do. What's the greatest need? How might I play? Where's the need? What part can I sing? What part can I play? That's the work. That's the, that's the, the, the question that will be in our hearts and our minds as we move in and throughout every day. And all these different spheres that God's allowed us to be present in, where can we jump in and figure out where God wants us to actually be a part of the work he's already up to? We know that God is stirring within our church. We know it. We've experienced it. There, there are folks here in this space, in those other spaces, down the hall here, who are on point. They're, they're getting up in a week going, God, how can I serve? What do you have for me to do? Let me get after that thing today, whether it's in their home or in the community or even around the world. God's doing this thing. This is what's really fun about this message this weekend. Can you tell them a little fired up? I love calling people to momentum. Calling people to be somewhere they're not is so painful almost impossible. But here's the deal. We're not, calling, we're not calling the church to somewhere we're not. We're already on point. We're moving in this direction. And, and the momentum that we require and that God requires and needs from us is to jump in and to play our part so we can get after this thing that God's called us to do. There are folks all throughout Two Rivers Church who are already doing this, who are experiencing God leading them in ways they never thought or imagined even just a few years ago. I want to give you a story of just a couple people who've experienced this recently. Check it out. My heart's interest four years ago was anti-human trafficking efforts. And um, I tried several different avenues to get involved in the anti-trafficking um, community in Knoxville. And doors just kept being closed. I mean, I was like, I will do anything for you for free. I will have a full-time job. It doesn't matter. I will do whatever you need. And nothing ever seemed to pan out. Um, it was very disappointing, but I knew that God had in my heart to help defend, help encourage um, the defenseless. Four years ago, after a trip to Mexico City um, about anti-human trafficking efforts, I met a, a gentleman. Uh, he was introduced to me um, from one of my group fitness participants um, who was involved in a motel ministry. and. I instantly was very interested in that and my husband as well. And so we started a motel ministry three years ago and we simply go to various motels in the Knoxville area, specifically more east, take a meal to the people that live there as well as just the transients that are in and out. We offer to pray for people and meet basic needs. We basically are trying to introduce them to God if they don't know Him and know that we care enough about them to feel His presence, God's presence, you know, through us uh, serving them. Two years ago, I actually attended here at church. A Mexico City meeting was happening that we were gonna do a mission trip there and I was interested in it. And I got there and realized the dates were not gonna work and started talking to Shauna um, on the side about some of my passions and the things that I loved. And she invited me to come along with her and Rob. And I try to never miss because it's such a blessing. And I just feel led that that is part of what God's calling me to do right now. So a lot of the people that we see that live at the motels are there because they cannot afford a first month's rent, a last month's rent to get into an apartment. At the motel ministry, we have a certain time that we meet every week. There's a group of people that are putting the food together. And then the food comes to different motels across Knox, Knox County. 
and there's people there. We have the trunk of the car that's open and we're packing meals out of there, feeding people. And we're from lots of different churches. It's not a Two Rivers thing. It was originated from a church in Corrington. And, um, and so it's, a, it's been a wonderful way for us to meet other believers and other people in our community who, um, who are the hands and feet of Jesus. We've also seen success stories mm -hmm. of people that we were close to, and it's kind of sad when we lose touch with them, but we're also cheering for them because we know that better things were happening. Right next door, really, there are some re really destitute and people in need. Um, and to be able to go and and spend 15 minutes with one person or, you know, really we're there maybe an hour and a half total, but to be able to let people know that we care and, you know, God has put us in this spot to be able to, to, to bless them in some ways, but then we turn around and are equally blessed by them um, because they're so grateful, they're so kind. If you're thinking about joining a ministry um, of any type, I would really encourage you just to do it. God will provide you with the, the, the courage, with the words, with everything that you need. So I think you've got to step out and follow the Spirit and listen mm -hmm. to God's guidance, and He will put you where you need to be. The Lord is calling each and every one of us to, to step out and to do something. I think Casey and I would both agree to just give it a try. Um, God will be there. He will meet you there. And if it's not right for you, it's okay. You, st you stepped out, you did something, and, and you can find something else to do. But I think the Lord wants everyone to serve in some way. And um, so we just encourage you to go for it. And I think sometimes you feel like it's not a big way, but it is a big way. Like, it, you're like, oh, it's just so simple. This is all I do. But that one little thing that you do can really bring people close to Jesus. You hear that last line? The one little thing you can do can really bring somebody close to Jesus. It's true. And that's what we hope and pray as we move into next weekend, and as we move forward as a church. And so next weekend for us, uh, it's not just an event. Uh, it's an event. But it's the message next weekend, it's the worship, it's the illustration, it's, it's how we believe God's called us to have um, His presence in this world and this life that He's called us to live in. And so I'm going to ask if, uh, if you'd be so kind here and across all of our venues, would you stand, allow me to pray for us as we move into next weekend. <laughs> Father God, uh, we, we thank you first and foremost for Jesus. Thank you that at the, at the greatest point of our need, that God, you moved in. Jesus, you stepped into our, our desperation. You stepped into the greatest need we have for a rescuer and a savior. And you did exactly that. You rescued and you saved us. You didn't come to be served, but served us through the cross. God, may that truth never, never be uh, evasive from our minds or our hearts. Would you continue to drive that into the the reality of who we are that, that causes us to be a people, Lord, who respond in like fashion. 
out of how you've loved us to love each other and to love this world you've called us to, to serve the world you've called us to. And so, God, next weekend is just a weekend. But, God, would you, would you orchestrate events in such a way that causes the name of Christ to be known and experienced? Would you give us interactions and opportunities to continue to form relationships in the world in which we live? And at the same time, God, because you do all things at, at the very same time, would you continue to shape and change the way we see you and see ourselves in your reflection? God, that's our prayer. And if that's your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Hey, what's interesting about the end of this text, um, in the beginning, when Jesus shows up, steps into the conversation, they're scared to death, they're freaked out. Then they move to a place of, of being scared to death and frightened to a place of marvel. This is just too good to be true. He's back. And then at the very end of the text, he says to them, I want you to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to give you the power to do the very thing I've called you to do. And they move from that space as Christ has left them, praising and worshiping God because they knew the Holy Spirit was waiting upon them. We on this side of the resurrection, we on this side of Pentecost have experienced the Holy Spirit who's come to reside and rest and live within each and every one of us. May the Spirit in us move us to a place of worship this day. Amen? Let's worship.